This is an odd uh, configuration here at the church. If you haven't been with us before, if you happen to be visiting with us, uh, we like to every once in a while set aside the regular uh, format of our worship and just kind of carve out some time to do uh, what would be known as public theology together, just simply talking about the things of God. Theology is uh, theos, uh, God, logos, the word, speaking about, wrestling with, asking questions about uh, the things of God, about our faith. So uh, it's, a, it's, a, it's a unique tradition we have here at Prince of Peace, and so today is the day. So all of that is to say, if you have questions related to uh, the scripture passage that I'm about to share, related to uh, the, your experience of the church, uh, one of the things we always love to do when new folks are coming into the community of faith is ask what your church background has been, what has been your history with the church, and people often have memories of long ago uh, attending a, a church, maybe of a, of a different denomination, where maybe the approach to the sacraments was different than it is in the Lutheran church, and you have questions related to that, or whatever it might be. Uh, there may well be questions related to this time of pandemic and, and uh, the impact it's had on your own faith, um, and on the church, and uh, the, how things are changing, and, and where we might be heading. So uh, just, just know that uh, any question is welcomed, uh, any comments you might have, uh, as we do this public theology together, carve out some time. So uh, I'll begin by reading the assigned uh, second reading for today, the reading from uh, Hebrews. Hebrews is often spoken of as a kind of uh, extended sermon uh, in, in the New Testament. So this is right at the beginning, first chapter, the first four verses that we get today. And just by way of context, it's good to remember that the church at the time, uh, the young church, uh, the followers of Jesus, sometimes referred to as the people of the way, uh, it wasn't an easy uh, time to be a part of this, this young, growing community. Um, many of them had been ostracized from their own families. They were finding themselves completely out of sync with the culture, with some of the tradition of their time. Uh, many were outright persecuted for uh, aligning themselves, being part of this this community of faith in Christ, this, this young church. So it is into this context that this sermon uh, is preached. So let's just hear these first uh, four verses of the book of Hebrews, and then uh, if this raises any questions for you, feel free to ask them. Uh, if you're joining us online, we welcome you in as well. You can submit questions in the comments there. They'll be relayed here in the room. Uh, if you have a question, just raise your hand, and, and Brent will bring a microphone over to you so that we can hear it. Uh, so from Hebrews. Long ago, God spoke to our ancestors in many and various ways by the prophets. But in these last days, he has spoken to us by a son, whom he appointed heir of all things, through whom he also created the worlds. 
He is the reflection of God's glory and the exact imprint of God's very being. And he sustains all things by his powerful word. When he had made purification for sins, he sat down at the right hand of the majesty on high, having become as much superior to the angels as the name he has inherited is more excellent than theirs. So, it's clear that this uh, is a, a, a powerful uh, a word of encouragement to the followers of Jesus that you are, in fact, um, being led by uh, the very logos, the very word of, of God. It's a high Christology, a, 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 a real focus on, on the, on the uh, eminence and divinity of, of Jesus, which would have been uh, in that context that we, that we uh, talked about, comforting to those who were following him. So with that, uh, I'll just open it up. If there's a question in the room, uh, please make yourself known and, and Brent will get to you. Otherwise, I've also got some that are coming to me online. So all right, I will, I will start with this one here. Uh, submitted by Mike. How do you reconcile being the kind of Christian that Jesus wants us to be within a world that often hates religion because of so many people that do pretty bad things while using God as their reason? Um, yeah. Yeah, right. Um, how do you reconcile being the kind of Christian that Jesus wants us to be within a world that often hates religion because of so many people that do pretty bad things while using God as their reason. Um, and, he, and he speaks of feeling, you know, the, the sort of uh, frustration of feeling weird about being a person of faith, uh, a, a church person, uh, because of what people, the assumptions people make about you uh, when they hear that. This is a fascinating line of questioning, I think, and it relates well to the context set uh, into which we heard this opening of this Hebrews sermon, where the church finds itself, I think, increasingly countercultural. And this is true for those of us who kind of grew up in the church. Um, in our lifetimes, we have seen this steady shift of, of the sort of normalcy um, expectedness of being a part of a church community, a, a real regular active member of a local congregation, to where that has, a, a, it, with each passing decade, if not each passing year, become increasingly countercultural, right? And so, where do people get their concept of what it means to be uh, a member of a worshiping community? They often get it from the media, from portrayals, from uh, news sources, and from uh, you know, those kinds of places. And oftentimes the image that they get is not at all the way you personally would like to be identified as such, as a follower of Jesus. I think this is uh, hopefully kind of what Mike is, is getting at here, that kind of 
frustration. I wonder if I just asked you how many of you have ever felt some kind of negative emotion or embarrassment or <laughs> uneasiness about identifying yourself as uh, a member of a church or somebody who goes to church. Have you ever had those kinds? Of, ah, wow. Wow. <laughs> I guess I would say most of, well, majority of folks yeah. in the room. Uh, That's how I, I feel I, about telling people I'm a pastor. Totally. Sometimes no. No, no. just saying to somebody that you're a pastor is a difficult thing because just positive, they immediately think something about me that uh, I would rather not have them think. <laughs> I, I don't even know what it might be, but well, I just... Being a lady pastor helps a little because that automatically moves me to like, you know, well, you can't be a certain kind of pastor and be a lady pastor because they don't let you be lady pastors oh, right. in certain kind of churches. That helps a little. Ah, never thought of that. <laughs> it's like a, it's like a little bonus. So I don't have to say like, I'm not that kind of pastor because they kind of know. Well, you couldn't be, Yeah. <laughs> Yeah, I think the caveat of, of saying you're a person who believes in God, believes in Jesus, a Christian, and then you have to feel like you immediately have to caveat it with, but like, but not, you know, not that, not that kind of Christian. I'm not, I'm, this is the kind of Christian I am, you know, and I think that's, what a bummer, right? <laughs> um, to have to caveat something that, was never meant to be turned into what it's been turned into. Um, I, I finished working on the curriculum for group life this week, and so it's very fresh in my mind, um, so apologies, but maybe this will whet your appetite to join a group, but the Daniel Erlander talks a lot about how people, are, our inclination is to become, try to be big deals. He calls it big deals. People want to be big deals, and here's how you become a big deal you you hoard property, money, power, all these different things. And it is, it is the opposite. The way of God is the opposite of being a big deal. And I just think that's, that's so proven in, in Christianity. The second we use our faith to make ourselves a big deal, which essentially puts, puts us above somebody. If you put yourself above somebody, somebody's got to be below you, right? And the second you start doing that, you are do doing the opposite of what God has called us to do in the world. And that is countercultural when everything else in society is saying, take, 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 um, rise, rise, rise. Who cares who you step on on the way up? And, uh, and Jesus is constantly reminding us, God is constantly reminding us, that's not, that, that's not my way, that's not my way, that's not my way. And sometimes it feels like, personally, get up in the pulpit and I feel like I say kind of the same thing a lot because it's a message that needs to be preached against the culture all the time, that the way of the world is not the way of God, the way of the world is not the way of God. If that's the constant message of Scripture, then we have to be reminded of what the way of God is in the world. Um, and it can be so frustrating uh, as a person who feels like they're trying to do things the way of God, walk the way of God, to watch people do things opposite of that and still call it God. I find that extremely frustrating. And 
just so maddening that somebody who can pretend to know uh, pretends to know their Bible or says they're using God in this way and then just treats people so poorly and walks all over people and um, oppresses people and, you know, take a basic, doesn't make a living, doesn't pay their workers living wages, like that's a really basic thing, and, and calls themselves Christian. It feels very frustrating. Uh, and yet to trust that God is active in doing and and mending and repairing and restoring these breaks in the way it was meant to be um, and trusting that it's, it's not my work, it's God's work and I get to join God in this work uh, is a good reminder for me when I get so frustrated to trust that God is doing work in the world even if I can't see it, even if it's super frustrating and feels like, I, I don't know, those of you who've been like, I've been embarrassed, I mean, there's times I, I don't know, maybe you want to also show your hands, maybe you might not want to with this question, but where you just want to throw in the towel and be like, I'm out, I can't, I can't be associated with this anymore, it's too awful. It's what people are doing and saying in the name of God is too awful, I'm out. Does anybody ever feel like that? I'll raise my hand if your pastor says it, then you can too. Yeah, a few of you were brave to raise your hands. It's hard to stay in it when there are people saying the opposite but still putting the little God stamp on it. That's very hard. And if that's you, I just want to say, you're not alone, and I don't have a good answer. <laughs> um, but, that it, but that God is in that too. God is in that same place, that same level of frustration, that same work for something different. And that's been an active dynamic in the community of faith from the very outset. Well, yeah. Just a few weeks ago, we had the a gospel reading where we're told uh, after a discussion of, of Holy Communion where Jesus is saying, uh, this is my body, this is my blood, and we're told that uh, many of the followers de decided no longer to, to follow at that point. So um, I'm out, you know, like too much for me. So, I mean, there, there is this constant struggle to, ma to, ma to maintain a, a kind of connection to the community of faith and and, um, and a call to define it in, in this world uh, through, um, you know, service to the less fortunate, you know. When as much as you do it unto the least of these, you do it unto me, you know. And we watched Jesus recently place a child in front of uh, the, the, the believers um, to make this, this point. So um, this, this kind of struggle uh, uh, goes on. It's, I just think, feel like it's, so particularly relevant in this time of transition and, and some of these trends in the church that have been going on decades, uh, and then we slammed right into this pandemic and, um, uh, and this, this racial and political strife. Uh, these, are, these are turbulent times, right? And, and what does it mean for the church to manifest itself faithfully in the midst of all of this uh, is an ongoing challenge and call, and um, it's a you know it's it, it can be frustrating. Um, but to me, the relevance of the gospel um, has found uh, its its place in a context that is similar to uh, the early days, you know where it doesn't look like 
every other thing we do. You know, being a part of a community of faith in Christ, being part of the church isn't the same as the other social clubs and sports teams and other stuff we do. It's different. And uh, this, this context of pandemic and strife uh, sort of focuses our, our attention on, on that difference. Oh, how about that? We almost ran the clock out in one, one good question. <laughs> but uh, there must be another, another question or a comment or an issue out there that people are wrestling with. I just want to point out that I know there are, especially with kids. If you registered for Axis and, and Revolution, we ask you, what is one big God or faith or life question that you hope we address? And man, I've got tons of them. So... Speak up. You got him. Come on. Someone be brave. Otherwise, another one from online, if we want to take that. Yep. Uh, so given our recent experience now in this last year and a half, going on two years with the availability and opportunity for participating in worship and faith communities online or via Zoom, or uh, those of us here who choose to participate in person now, um, in your own perspectives, what do you think that has done for us as a community of faith? What are the pros and cons of that? Um, maybe both as you reflect on them and also looking forward. Yeah, so it's, um, you know, in our case here at Prince of Peace, we've, we've always, I mean, during my tenure, we've always live streamed, so we've always had this, uh, this, this um, remote connection to the worship experience that's been available. Obviously, uh, this has been more of a focus in these last couple of years, and at times it's been the only way for folks uh, to, to join us for worship. You know, there's a long stretch there of Sunday after Sunday where it was just us in this empty room preaching as if you were sitting out there. And, you know, it was strange, but it was somehow holy too. We knew that, you know, people were connecting and in, in some very real ways, more people were connecting than when it didn't occur to people to go looking for uh, a worship experience online, and we've gotten lots and lots of feedback about that over the past couple of years. Mm -hmm. um, I'm aware of the ways in my own family that my own family has uh, joined us regularly for worship, you know. My mom's probably watching us now. Hi, Mom. So is my dad, uh, probably. <laughs> yeah. Um, <laughs> which, is, uh, which is lovely, you know. Um, uh, wouldn't be possible otherwise. And so there is a, a very real benefit. Um, obviously, there is theologically something lacking when we're not able to be physically present with each other. I mean, there's something embedded in the foundational theology of our faith that says we are communal. Huh? One of our sacraments is the sacrament of holy communion. And and it means to be shared together. This is my body given for you, Jesus said in that intimate upper 
room and that table extends out and calls us to gather when we can. So what could keep us from that other than love for our neighbor in need or the most vulnerable among us? What could keep us from that other than these factors? Uh, so it has been of necessity that we've tried to negotiate our way through, never losing the priority, the appreciation for the gathered community. Uh, but also saying, this will not break the church. This will not cause us to disband and be done with it. This Gospel is so precious and relevant. And so in the midst of it all, while we were unable or incapable of gathering in person, we were there with a compassionate presence for people who were suffering, struggling, or experiencing grief. And we continue to yearn for the day when these restrictions can be removed. Uh, but we are also aware of new uh, blessings that are available to us via these other uh, ways of reaching out uh, to a community beyond those that can get here physically on a Sunday morning. We know you're out there. And when you hear this gospel, it is as if you were in the room with us. It doesn't water down over the distance. Uh, it is the, the true Word of God. And it's the hope of the world. And it is the gift of the church to share it in whatever ways are available to us. Yeah, I think... Uh, there is something particularly wonderful and beautiful about being in the same physical place with each other. I, I feel like the first time I heard people's voices singing together in this space again felt like a real holy moment, right? To be like, oh yeah, that's what this is like, right? Um, different than just Alice pounding away on the organ way over there and the, the seven of us spread as far apart as we could in this room singing <laughs> to ourselves, uh, which is what it was like for us over, over the, the live streaming when we were not able to gather in person. And yet, um, someone sitting at home has a body as much as I have a body here and they are present, we are together, even though we are not physically together. I believe that when we said at the start of the pandemic, the church is more than a building, I believe that's still true even when we are inside a building. I don't believe that has changed. Uh, I find it to be frustrating. All the churches that are like, church is back, we're back. And I'm like, we weren't not church <laughs> when we were not physically together. We were still church. And to say that the church has never been about, about a building, Oh, excuse me, remains true, remains true even when we are gathering in a building, right? It is not, it is part of this, this thing we do is gathering together, but it is not the only thing we do. And uh, to, to say that church is just this one hour on a Sunday is just so small. It's just so small. And I think God is way bigger than that. And uh, I think Theologically, there's some pushing to be done in reminding the church that is coming back, whatever that means, together, physically, that the church still remains, that if somebody is choosing now to stay at home and worship in their pajamas 
with a cup of coffee in their garden, that is church and it still counts and it still matters. And if somebody is not healthy enough to come to church because they are worried about their health or worried about the health of those around them, then that's, and they are joining us that way, that still counts and that still matters. This is not like the VIP church and then out there church, online church is like secondary church. It doesn't work that way. We are the church gathered. And I believe that the communion table is so much bigger than this spot up here. It is wide and vast and large and wherever we are gathered around it, um, it counts, it matters, and God is, is there. God connects us together in a way that, that matters even though we are not physically together. So if you are with us online, I believe you're here just as much as I'm here. Brent, has, we have one more question. Yeah. Okay, so I have always been told to like love my enemies and whatnot, but I go to a public high school, so that's kind of difficult to do. And I'm just wondering, like, how do you do that? Like, how are you supposed to love your or like? You know? <laughs> that's a big question. <laughs> Such a good question. How do you love your enemies? In case you didn't hear that, it's just a small one to end things. Yeah. <laughs> if anybody yeah. knows, you let me know. <laughs> Let me just say it's not one of my spiritual <laughs> I know you're supposed to do it. Um, <laughs> you know, the best maybe I could do is to say I have um, presided at funerals over the years on occasion for people who didn't like me <laughs> in this life. For one reason or another. Uh, and so subsequently, I probably didn't <laughs> emotionally <laughs> love them uh, the way uh, I, I think you're, you know, we're, 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 we're told you're supposed to. Yeah. Uh, so when I rose to speak at those funerals, um, what I had to say was the same thing I had to say when I rose to speak at my own father's funeral a month ago, which is that God in Christ loves this person, that the promise of the gospel is so real for this person that it should give those of us who remain in our pilgrimage here on earth comfort to know that when Jesus said, I go to prepare a place for you so that where I am you may be also, he meant it as much for this person as he means it for me. Um, that's probably the closest <laughs> I've gotten over the years to loving my enemies, people who are pretty sure that I was destroying the church in one way or another the way they loved it along the way because I, um, I renovated it or whatever the case might be, <laughs> expanded it, whatever. Uh, but that's a, just a great friction place in our faith in, in high school. Holy mackerel. <laughs> um, it's a jungle out there. Yeah. I mean... Oh. I don't know. It's really tough. It's why I believe that 
you know, our youth ministries are just so vital and important where we can wrestle with these kinds of questions. It's also why I think, as difficult as it can be and challenging, that high school is one of the places where the church deployed can just be such a blessing. I mean, where things can be diffused, where they otherwise might have been escalated, where grace can be offered, where otherwise vengeance might have been called for, where the unseen and uh, bullied can be befriended, where otherwise they might have been dismissed. So, challenging territory. Um, but fertile ground for our church to be out there in the world. Um, and no easy answer. It's just a great question. Uh, I would say, uh, because I am, a, I am a black and white person <laughs> at heart, uh, trying, to find, trying, to, trying to see more gray, I think, is like my work in the world. Um, and, and I think often, I think my call as a person of faith is to try to see someone as God sees them, which is not how I see them. Uh, very often the way I see them is, is uh, very different <laughs> than how God sees them. Uh, and I think that's, that helps me approach a person uh, that I might consider an enemy, whatever that may be, um, with more grace and more openness and more kindness uh, than they might be offering me. I also think practically that is really hard to do. And if somebody does not offer me the grace, I feel like I am offering them. <laughs> I find it super hard to continue offering grace and continuing to be kind. Um, but I also think that boundaries exist for a reason, and your call as a person of faith is not to be a doormat and be treated poorly by people who are, are unwilling to give you the same grace. So sometimes loving someone is walking away and setting a boundary, and I think that is just fine. Uh, so if somebody isn't treating you well, I don't think loving your enemy is like, well, keep treating me poorly. I still love you. I think sometimes letting God love them and you walk away is good enough. Um, a long time ago on a mission trip here, I've maybe even said this before, one of my adult leaders, there was, we were driving, traffic was bad, there were some really bad drivers with us. We had this you know, van full of kids. And he's like, thank goodness God loves you because I sure don't right now, he said to the car next to us. And I was like, all right, I think I'm gonna use that. <laughs> I'm, gonna use, I'm gonna use that. That's a, that, that'll preach, that'll preach to me. And so I've used that a lot just to say, in this instance, I'm gonna let God love you and I'm gonna step back for a little while. And I think that's, that's also fine. Doesn't mean you're a jerk, doesn't mean you're not kind to them still, um, but distance is all right too. Distance is a form of love. A boundary is a form of love as well. You should also know that you're in good company when you wrestle with this particular question because just a couple of things leap to mind from the, <laughs> from the, the disciples. One is P 
Peter drawing a sword and hacking off a guy's ear. <laughs> you know, I'm not sure if you could call that love. Uh, uh, and then another time the disciples asked Jesus if it would be all right if they rained down fire on this particular town that didn't uh, <laughs> receive the message well. Could we just torch the town, Jesus? And he actually he said, no, he says no, no, we can't he says do that. No. <laughs> so you're in good company. I mean, uh, understanding uh, the... Uh, the Reaction that is contrary to our natural inclinations is good. Yeah, so there you go. I mean, uh, those of us who have been here together for this extended uh, moment, um, you, you now realize, as I call your attention to it, that you listened differently than you do when one of us is preaching, that it creates a different atmosphere, a different energy in the room, and it's uh, somehow the time always flies when we do this. But uh, just be aware that whether or not you spoke, you engaged, and in listening is an active event, not a passive event. And so uh, we were together engaged in doing public theology and wrestling with issues of the faith. And it's good to know you are capable of doing it. You just did do it. And it's great as a congregation. We like to point out the uniqueness that we're even able to do it right in the midst of a Sunday morning. So we appreciate that. We are grateful for your uh, participation. And so we go in peace to love and serve the Lord. Thanks be to God.